Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your host. Oh, that's right. That's the old intro. We've been doing this for a, we've been doing this for a while. <laughs> the new ones we've been doing for like how long now? 50, 60 episodes now? Yeah, something like a year. Yeah. A weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and Jeep thingies. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Barker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 353. So, yes, the Jeep thingy. Um, we still don't have a name for this yet, but with extra well, life. I, I think you just came up with the name. And no, we're not calling it that. <laughs> um, with extra life project done till next year, um, starting up on this hardware project again. Um, so, what it is, is a. Uh, Power distribution module PDM for cars. Uh, more generic than just the Jeep project that I was working on a long, long time ago. Um, we talked about this, what, about two months ago, I think, just to kind of gauge interest and actually have lots of engineers um, emailing me and message me on our Slack channel about this. So we're going to do it. I don't have a spec sheet just yet. But that's what we're kind of going to get into with this episode, I guess. Uh, I can see this being a project where it's like two years down the road and like you have like prototypes and all uh, like things actually working and you're still like, I don't have a spec sheet just yet, <laughs> but it's coming. <laughs> you can't get scope creep if you don't know what you're scoping towards. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. You can only creep away from a target if you have the target. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so when we were talking about this a uh, couple of weeks ago, um, there's basically going to be two flavors of this PDM. Uh, one is going to be like a development uh, piece of hardware that's just like a bare board, maybe a, a chassis around it that just prevents like a screwdriver from falling into it. Um, but it's not waterproof or anything like that. It's more for development purposes. And then a like lot like G game day version. Game day version. I like that. Yeah. Game day version that goes on your car permanently that's waterproof and has like proper automotive connectors and that kind of stuff. And won't cause you to get in a wreck. Exactly. Um, but the hardware is basically the same between them and the software is the same. It's just basically how it interfaces to the outside world changes. Um, so in that regard, basically what we were running into was connectors. You know, basically connectors suck for your projects. Because um, honestly, like a lot of times it's like the last thing you think about. It's like mounting holes on like everyone forgets to put mounting holes on their PCBs. <laughs> um, it's the same thing, though. It's like but at the end, you're like, oh, I need to connect this thing to the world. And yeah, um, I, you it, know, it, in, in, my, in my designs at work, luckily, the products we design have standards for for this um, for the board sizes and things like that. They're not like super rigid, but at least has general standards. I've gotten to the point where if I start a new project, I draw a board outline, I put down mounting holes and I put down fiducials before I touch anything else. And those are locked in place. Those are like 
biblical standards for the uh, for my boards. And then everything else has to conform to that because I've done it way too many times the other way. And it's like, ah, oh, my board's done. Damn it. I have to put some fiducials where they're somewhere. Go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> somewhere on this board. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so that's where we're going to go with this is what was going to be the least common denominator, which is going to be the connectors for the waterproof enclosure version kind of dictates what everything does on this board. Well, and, and these are not just, you can't just throw any connector into this thing because they have some pretty hefty uh, requirements, right? Requirements. Yeah. So we need them to be waterproof and they also have to handle the current that we were specking. And I called this the quest for 25 amp connectors. Um, Cause it's, you think that'd be easy, but yeah, wire to wire connectors. You can totally get like a Deschutes like DTP connector and it, it, that handles the amperage just fine. Um, there's tons of those style like weather packs that handle uh, that, but none that are like the housing toward onto a PCB. And most of them cap at like 15. And I'm like, 15 is fine. And actually, if you look at a lot of PDMs out there, 15 is the max because of this reason, like connectors are the the problem they dictate the specs yeah they, they, they yeah that, and that's what we're doing here and so i'm like no we have to go 25 amps or higher honestly if we can go higher than that that's even better because yeah. then we have overage because on well we have overage on the big thing is is electric fans is um we don't really basically how most pdms get away with this is if you need a super high power device like a big electric fan that's pulling 30 amps you put an external relay that's gets triggered hmm. we don't want to do that really that's like more wire that's like eight more wires you want it all in the box we want it all in the box so we're doing it all in the box um before the podcast i started looking more heavily at this and i finally found I think the connector. It's a TE connectivity 1-141836-2-3. It's like a what's it? What's the family called? Um, it starts with an L. Oh wow. The data sheet's kind of intense for it. Levy seal. Well, the data sheet has like you look at the physical data sheet. Yeah. It's got two parts on there. So it's, it's showing like the straight vertical version and then the 90 degree version, which we'll, yep. we'll use the 90 degree version. Sure. I think. I think. How many pins is this thing? 60 something. Okay. And like it has different size. Um, some of the pins are different sizes. It's got six. Yeah. Some are different sizes. pins. That's a, yeah, that one's a 62 position. And um, they have a 39 position one that's like all the bigger pins, which we might use that one. Um, it just depends yeah. uh, how many signals we end up needing. Well, you, um, you don't the have six, the spec sheet yet, so you don't know how many we signals. Don't have the spec <laughs> so we don't know how many inputs or outputs we actually need yet. Right, right. Um, so 62 positions is what I'm currently going at because it gives you six pins that can do 40 amps. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 
That's cool. And then everything else does um, 20 amps. So that's a lot. That's a ton. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, we won't be able to supply all that power. You know, 62 times 20 is ridiculous. Um, that's like what? Uh, a lot. 1800 amps, which is <laughs> no way we're going to do that. No, but this, this connected per device <laughs> allows us the flexibility to make a more generic device, right? Yeah. Um, so that's good. So we have we have six pins that we can do R40 on or our, our 25 amps that we actually wanted to hit. Awesome. So we actually finally found the connector. Um, I got, yes. actually got some on order and we'll start playing around, like make a footprint and try all that stuff out. But that's great. We finally found the connector that will allow us to do anything that we want power wise. <laughs> oh, it's a pretty, it's a pretty big connector too. It's a, it's 132 oh, yeah. millimeters wide. That's yeah. It's that's big. a, that's a, a, like a, yeah, big it's like connector. six, it's like six millimeters between each pin. <laughs> yeah. That's legit. Yeah. It's cool. It's not, I think it's like 25 bucks. So it's not too bad, but that's just the housing part. I don't, yeah. I don't, I, I didn't look at what the cable end is. I don't want to know because it, it matches our current spec, so we're good. Sure, <laughs> well, but 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 in the grand scheme of everything, with what you're going at here, the enclosure and the connectors are your big expense parts. Big expenses, yeah. So whatever, right? Yeah, whatever. Um. So I finally found the connector, got them on order. We're all good there. And then I was like, okay, now we need to flip that around and actually start specking input outputs. What what are we going to do input outputs on? I think we talked about like 24 inputs, 24 outputs, something like that. Um, and while I was thinking about what kind of specs we have, Haltech, which makes a lot of uh, aftermarket like for racing applications, um, hardware, that makes sensors and that kind of stuff. Um, they release a new PDM uh, called the PD-16, which... Funny enough, power distribution 16 is how many outputs it has. Um, so it has 16 outputs, 10 8 amps, 4 25 amps, and then two push pulls, which are they say push pull, which is really it can it can sync or deliver power. What, uh, what would you? It's, use eight, that it's for? half an H bridge. Yeah, right. What, what would you use that for? Um, if depending on your device, if you're if you need to send power to it or you're trying to sync power from it. Um, an example would be like an AC clutch. You'd want to, you're you're hitting the, um, uh, you're like the drain, you need a drain signal to hit that. Hmm. Okay. Because it's like live positive. It, it's, car stuff is weird. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, I just, I know nothing about automotive, so yeah. I just didn't know that that was even yeah. a thing. Yeah, some, th some things are ground switched and some things are power switched, positive switched, I guess. You know, I would have thought that everything was unified, but nope. No. Of course not. Um, now, on our end, we're actually going to use H-bridges. Uh, there was an Infineron part that we talked about a couple weeks ago. I don't... The part number currently escapes me, but it's a, it's a half an H-bridge, and we're actually going to use that for... Um, 
all the outputs are going to be that, which enables us to actually do more stuff like actually control directional DC motors. So for like car windows, now we can drive the motor down and then back up. So we can do cool stuff like that. So we, you can combine, you know, two of the half bridges into a full H bridge. Mm-hmm. Cool stuff. Um, and I think those, I think those parts were like 34, 38 amp components. Um, so we're, we're, we got it. We got the makings of our spec sheet going now. Yeah, honestly, I, well, I, I bet you one of the hard parts about the spec sheet is going to be specking out all the connections. Uh, and, and I don't, yeah. I don't necessarily mean difficult, but like making sure you get everything right is going to, that's going to take some effort. Yeah. Well, when I'm saying spec sheet, I'm talking about like, how does this board interface with the world? Yeah. Is what I'm talking about. Um, I guess that's what I'm getting at too. And that's like making sure that you're, you're doing, making a choice that upsets the least amount of people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Um, That's a good way to put it. Um, Cause that, so that'd be the good thing is basically do like, if I take that connector and go, okay, there's six 40 amperes potentially. um, And then the rest of those, are low power and they're still like 20 amp per pin um and you put half bridges on all those but um look at what i need to look at is how many of those i want to be actually input outputs for power and then which ones i want as signals um and then divide that up that way and then also i have to think about it it needs kanban um i'm not kanban can bus kanban's a different thing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> needs can bus um and so that takes up you know two i think it's two pins plus the ground because you need like a signal ground yeah and then i want to think of like how am i going to do the inputs and i was thinking we were t- discussing on the inputs like for switching stuff is to actually have um make them analog inputs instead of just all digital and so that way you can feed it an analog signal from a sensor, or you can just put a switch on it, or you can fend, you, you can feed it whatever you want it to feed it, and it will just work. On on the software end, you figure out if you care if it's a digital signal or you care if it's an analog signal. Um, so that way you can just mix and match. So you can input sensor data into this thing, even though it's a PD, it's a you know power distribution module, not a sensor box, but you can repurpose some of the inputs as sensor inputs just and just things to think about right yeah yeah i could see this getting really big really fast yeah um and also when you think about if you're going to do these switch input stuff um a sensor most automotive sensors are five volts sensors um so they're analog five like an active sensor is uh five volt to zero volt output, whereas automotive digital switches are 12 volts. And so how do we handle, do we just like bring everything from 12 back down to five and into this thing? And that just means our analog range is lower. I don't know yet. Or is that configured in software and there's hardware inside that, that switches between those two? (laughs) <laughs> like basically runs the signal through a voltage divider or just goes straight into the ADC, depending on what you're doing. Or do you just put a 12 volt, compa- like a 12 volt uh, compliant 
ADC front end that, you know, you don't really care if it goes over the five volts. A lot sounds of things like, to think about. Sounds like you could use some of those uh, DG switches I was talking about the other the other week to switch options, right? Yeah, yeah, oh, exactly. Those are compliant up to like what forty eight volts. We, it, there's a whole bunch of variants, but yeah, you can get them way up there. Yeah, so that might be the way to go. Is actually switch it that way, or just make it. I'm thinking of just making an analog front end to it that can handle the automotive like 18 volts basically make it just handle that yeah just like full range yeah full range yeah. and then on the microcontroller side if you, if you pick analog and just make sure that adc front end has enough range to where if you just give it a five volt zero volt <laughs> signal you don't lose all your dynamic range so you're saying ADs a to d's that are that have enough that you can throw away three quarters throw away, of the range. Uh, <laughs> yeah throw away not three quarters, uh, but two thirds. Sixty percent of the range is thrown right. away. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I guess that's a solution. It's a solution that requires less thinking from the user. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of like, oh, this is the digital, so I need to like configure the software before I hook it up. May, how, wait, how many analog inputs are you thinking this will have? Six. No, like 24. Oh, okay. You want to, I'm sorry. I maybe I want I a lot. You want a lot. Okay. Cause I was thinking maybe you could have, maybe you could have less critical analog ones that just utilize the whole range. And maybe you could have critical analog ones that could have selectable ranges. Yeah. We could break them up that way. Yeah. It's possible. I don't know that. Yeah. No. So, okay. I, I some questions about this. Uh, the software side of things, because you, so far we've been talking about the hardware side. You, hardware. It sounds like sounds like you you have your eyes. You said yes to the dress on the uh, on the yeah. connectors, and we we spent a little bit of time talking about uh, enclosures a few weeks ago. But how does the user? What is your goal for the user actually interfacing with this thing? Is there going to be like a GUI, or is this going to be coding on their end? At first, it's going to be code. Yeah, like there's going to be a a. A project um, that uh, that's just like the default configuration with maybe some examples, and that's what it is. It's not going to be a GUI. Um, there might be a GUI eventually, but that's not anywhere near the scope. It's going to be like, yeah, you're you're coding, and that's actually what we I kind of want is I don't really want a GUI because a GUI locks you into what the GUI allows you to do. Right. This is not that way. This is supposed to be a hardware platform for a PDM. Um, will someone probably write a GUI? Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? It's open source, man. Right, right, right. I, I just didn't know if that was part of your <laughs> original idea to have like pin, you know, have a GUI that has like a pull down list. Pin one is this type and, you know, accepts this range. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Which, yeah, I, I which just, is just a fancy way of doing the code. Yeah, just the doing the code, I guess. But no, um, I definitely at first it's going to be um, templates and that kind of stuff. And the reason we, we were we were going with the RP2040 on Raspberry Pi because of how it's uh, because we can run circuit Python on it and have a script in Python, which is easier to write than, let's say, Arduino code. 
so we can have basically all the seed libraries that control all the hardware stuff kind of already done and baked in and you just invoke those commands in the python to make it do stuff and so the python ends up being your your glue logic that glues everything together and make everything talk to each other make the inputs talk to the outputs basically Mm -hmm. and you just call what you need yeah and call what you need yeah so it's, it's like having um or it's like just having like a normal like C library in in or Arduino library um, where you just like call certain commands and you don't have to worry about all the underlying stuff. Right. But right. instead of it just still being in C, we'll be able to do it in Python. And that's what I'm kind of. That's what I'm interested in in doing. It's one level. Can we of make that traction? Right. Well, in a different software language. Yeah, that that. Um, it's not really abstractions. It just allows you to do certain functions more powerful, like loops are way f- more power. Like loop control is way more powerful, in, in my opinion, in Python per line of code than in C. <laughs> <laughs> I like that per line of code. Yeah. Per line of code, Python's way more powerful, but it's because it's interpreted and more stuff happens under the hood, right? Yeah, I was about to say, like, your one line of code does a lot of other lines of code sure, behind sure, it, sure, right? Sure. So, <laughs> whereas, I, I don't want with, someone with to have... It's doing a whole lot less, or you're closer yeah, I, to it. That's what I mean by the abstraction. Yes. Yeah, I, I want. I don't want people to have to write this huge, you know, Arduino scripts and then push it over. I want to be like... Write your Python script and then you just like drag and drop it and throw it onto the onto the device and then it just works. What you mean you don't want your your power control module to have a main loop? <laughs> I mean it will. That's what it does under the hood. Right, but you don't you don't necessarily <laughs> want the end user to have to write the entire main I, loop. Yeah, I, I don't want the end user to have to worry about interrupts or anything like that. I, I, yeah, yeah, totally. Like I would put like um, for example, what I would do is let's say all our outputs, like I want to have a priority list for the power. So we have, let's say we have 24 outputs. Well, what you could do is put all those, uh, outputs into, let's say a, a list that is top priority to bottom priority. Right. Or you can do weights or anything or like, so like you can have a couple that are ones, that's a weighted style of priority. But that way, like, if you hit over current, so you're like, oh, we're pulling 300 amps already, and, and, the, and the user in the car tries to roll down the window, it, the car goes, well, you know what? You're going to have to, like, not do something else for right now. Like, turn off your heated seats, and then, like, now you can roll down your window. Right. Instead of just, like, completely locking everything out. So it can, has a soft lock. So that it doesn't just completely like trip the breaker when you try to do 300 amp plus of stuff at once. Yeah, totally reasonable. Yeah. And, and I think this is appropriate for the kind of project that you're going for because you're making this for people that are like you. Yeah. Uh, and 100%. in other words, if there was somebody who was tinkering around with their, their, their car and wanted to do their own PDM kind of thing, well, maybe the Haltech that you talked about is like, that's their way of getting into that has a GUI already. 
Right, 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 right. You're offering the next level of of configuration. Depth. <laughs> depth. Configuration. Yeah. 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 That's the whole thing is like there's there's products out there that do this and have a GUI. Right. But the thing is, they don't have the flexibility that we're talking about to just actually program it. Like yeah. the nuts and bolts actually to do the programming, which is what I want to be able to do. Now, now, okay, so rewind a, a, a ways back here. What is the like final, final goal? Like, why do this? Like, that you just said flexibility, but like, what does that flexibility afford you? Like, the, the ability to control everything to the nth degree? Like, what, well, why even, so why do you care? One is I want to be able to read sensors and data into it and be able to do other things with that data. Um, and also like do, um, power monitoring on motors and that kind of, like, let's say electric motors on, on, um, electric motors on your door. Some PDMs do this. Some don't, there's some standalone stuff that does this too. But like, if you ha- one touch electric windows are like the best thing, that's like the best modern convenience in the car. Are the is you press the button once to lower the window and you don't have to keep holding the button down. Yeah, dr- drive through buttons, right? Yeah. So when yeah. you're driving through to pick up your burger, you just press it once while you're getting your wallet. Yeah, exactly. Whereas <laughs> that sounds so insignificant, but there's a lot of stuff on the back end to make that work. Like you have to monitor. You don't know how long it actually takes. So that well, you know, probably like a maximum how long it takes the window to go down. But you can't just sit there and just burn the motor up if it's already bottomed out, right? Or it might be a cold day, so the window sticks a little. Especially in older cars, windows stick a lot. Um, so you need to have like a current monitor to know when your mo- motor stalls out. When basically it's at end of travel, then kill the motor. Or like someone's hand stuck in the in it and it won't close all the way. Or your burger stuck. <laughs> that that's tragic i'd rather have my yeah. hand stuck than the burger <laughs> <laughs> so so are you going to have current sensors on all the outputs every channel will have current sensors so well, all the outputs i should say given that if Input you were outputs. so inclined you could start coding in like health monitoring where it would be like i expect normally this kind of current and it could throw flags being like hey it's starting to decrease or something yeah decrease yeah no, that's no, that's you can totally do that, right? If you want to, that's the whole point if of this project. If you want project. to, yeah, 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 that's cool. Yeah, and like one thing I would, it would be interested in is, um, like let's say you're running a lot of electrical devices at idle, okay, and you're pulling a lot of load on your battery and and charging system, your alternator. Um, there isn't really anything out there. To go tell your, like, let's say your engine management to be like, hey, like, increase the idle RPM a bit. Modern cars do that. Like, if you start loading down electrical, it will idle up to spin the alternator faster and get more current. Uh, Some engine management will have, like, a wire for, like, if AC is on, it will kick up. But... That's just the AC. Sometimes you might want to do based on like power load. Like, hey, you have the AC on. Um, the kid in the back seat is just raising and lowering the the, the windows all the time, and uh, 
and you got your jams going and the bass is thumping and and then be like hey the the pdm's like like dude you're pulling like 150 amps like we need to probably kick that idle up a bit and so you can send a signal over either can bus or just an io to the to that ac kickup line on your engine monitor or engine controller and they'll kick up the the rpm it's stuff like that that you can't really do with off-shelf PDMs that I want to be able to do. So this thing has the ability to cause some damage if you make a mistake. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're talking <laughs> 300 amps. Yeah, right, right. So now we're going to have um, it's going to have fuses. Um, and we're going to be monitoring all the current, too. So, you know, so we'll have fuses because this thing interfaces stuff, direct to the battery. So you'll know yeah so what you normally do is off the bat right off the battery you put like a big breaker like a 300 amp breaker in this case and then to your pdm and then inside your pdm you need to have circuit protection uh if you like some devices have like e-fuse i've been looking at some e-fuses ideas might go that route i found some really cool ones i think we talked about a couple weeks ago actually um but I don't know yet. I still like the idea of having a physical fuse there just in case. Um, so we might put in like a 20 amp max, even though you might say, hey, this might only take five. But at least there's a 20 amp that's there to protect the connector and wiring. <laughs> An oh shit fuse. Yeah. Yeah. Just in case something bad, like you program it incorrectly and, you know, the uh Ask the current the sensor doesn't turn on or something <laughs> right right no that's a good move so so for the enclosure in general what kind of size do you think this thing's going to be that i have no idea about yeah like nothing yet not i'm even hoping like feel. i'm hoping like five inches by five inches by let's say two inches tall well, I mean, from what we talked about earlier, I can I can kind of guarantee you it's going to be bigger than that because the connector is 132 millimeters, which is well a little bit over five inches for just the connector. Sounds close. Well, I, okay, yeah, but uh, I mean, six, sounds then. like sounds like jamming all this into a five by five by. Let's something. just round up five to six then, and then. <laughs> All right, six by six. That sounds like a that sounds like a challenge to fit all of this into a six by six. Yeah, I, I have no idea what size is. The size is dictated by how it fits. Sure. <laughs> sure. And where do these normally mount in a vehicle? Uh, under the dash, like on the firewall, under the bat on the on the dash. Got it. Or behind the dash, I should say. Right, right, right. Inside the cab, typically. Though we are going to design it so that you can mount it anywhere. Um, one of the engineers that was helping like come up with some some of the ideas for this uh, mentioned using it for what's called upfitter module, which is so you'd have like a, a, a sp- let's say a sprinter van and you're doing a camper conversion inside of it. Um, you would use an upfitter module that allows you to control all the stuff inside the van that you would use one of these, a power distribution module, but upfitter hardware, it's, it has the same problem, but it's even more limited in who provides the hardware. And so there's less, even less features. And so this is like, 
allowing them uh, upfitters to actually use something like this too. So we're kind of designing it for both worlds. So we need it to be able to handle like if they mounted it underneath the chassis where it's exposed to rain, that kind of stuff. So we'll probably come up with like, like a 3D printed enclosure that works with the connector. And then we'll and then get some like injection molded or something. I don't know yet. That's like so far down the road. I'm just so happy I found the connector. <laughs> that makes everything work. Sounds like the hard stuff's already done. <laughs> Honestly, well, the hard thinking is done the, yeah. or the hard planning is done. Now the part of actually, you know, doing the, the grunt work is next. Making all the footprints, putting everything together soldering it all together doing first couple prototypes started writing software that's the fun stuff though that's when it feels like it's coming alive yeah yeah sometimes the planning stuff can get a little bit i, I mean i i've seen i've seen projects die in the planning phase just because i like, mean this one almost did well because, because of, of the, connectors because of a connector yep yeah for a while, like when we we were doing the connector search five, six weeks ago, yeah, it felt like this project would die because I couldn't find the right connector. I even checked TE connectivity. I just didn't see this one particular style. Yeah, at, at the first job I had at a college um, for the does the new product development cycle that they basically had, they they actually the engineering team devoted an entire chunk of the new product development cycle to just the phase of like thinking about it. And, oh, and, yeah. it, and it was like, and I'm not talking about like even spec sheet. I'm talking about just napkin drawing kind of stuff, but it would be full on plan. They'd have meetings and stuff like that. And uh, it would be the place where like you'd get three or four people in a room and you just talk about stuff and you would try as hard as you could to shoot holes in the project to just yeah. not waste time. It was, it was actually really helpful. No, that's essentially what we've done with this so far Yeah, is what things can come up. What do we want to plan for? Um, and that's why I want to release the spec sheet before we start doing any real hard work on it. But the first thing was, is our idea of having 25 amps for a lot of pins feasible? Or 30. I, I think it was 30. The thing is, we can do 40 now, which is awesome. <laughs> All the fans. I, every every single one. Mo yeah. Multiple 30 amp fans. Yeah. It'll be awesome. Well, that's cool. I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to hear more about it. All right. On to the next topic. Sure. That was uh, 35 minutes of <laughs> Jeep prop fan thingy. We still need to come up with a good name for it. I'm sure it will. It'll arrive sometime. Uh, you, you never know. Like I, I, I can't tell you how many products at work we've had done except for a name. And uh, yeah. done as in like we even have like the artwork for everything done. We just don't have a label up at the top for what to call it. <laughs> and we're like, eventually we're going to have to sell this thing. So come up with a name. So uh, earlier this week, Parker sent me an article uh, for 
a, what's called the Arduino Opta. It's been a long time since we've talked about Arduino on this podcast. Uh, I uh, guess. Well, we talked a lot, a little bit. Yeah. That's, I mean, every, every once in a while, it pops how about up. Arduino directly as a company? But yeah, exactly. I mean, w- I mean, it, it comes up every once in a while. It's just uh, we just don't aren't involved in it as much as we used to be. Let's just put it that way. Um, but but this is a pretty cool a new. Uh, I don't know, line of, of Arduino, the Arduino Opta, which is the first micro PLC that is uh, supported by uh, or actually developed by Arduino itself. So Arduino is getting into the PLC game, which is actually kind of cool um, because they're really trying to like go into this like pro industrial level as opposed to the, the bit more hobby level that they've been at. So um, yeah, Parker sent this over. I was like, you know what? Let's just talk about it on the podcast for a little bit because I think it's it's pretty cool because it's like an it's not just like a dev board. It's an actual DIN rail mount Arduino compatible. Yeah, it's already in its own chassis. Yeah, yeah, and it has a handful of different uh, what's it levels? I guess you can get on on the the Opta Light, the Opta RS four eighty five, and a Wi Fi version. So and it uh, with Ethernet capability on it too. So effectively, if you're looking to get into, you know, PLC programming, or if you need a PLC controller for whatever your your project is, industrial control kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. This is this is something that might be a a pretty easy like method or way of getting into it. Um, the cool thing is though, it it runs on an ST microchip. Uh, the STM32H747 dual-core microcontroller, which is a lot of grunt in a microcontroller for something like this. Yeah, and is this the... I don't think... Is this the first ST Micro for an official Arduino product? It might be. I don't know the answer to that. It, it very well might be. That'd be interesting to know. And and that that microcontroller is is uh, pretty pretty speedy. They've got uh, one version I think running at two hundred and thirty megahertz, and another one running at four eighty. So you 480 know, megahertz. Yeah, four four eighty megahertz. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like these things are like well beyond your your standard Arduino. You know, sixteen yeah. twenty five megahertz job. Eight megahertz Arduino uh, Dewey Movo. Dewey Movo. I can't pronounce that. One of the original ones. Yeah, yeah. On 328p, and it was like the fir- even the first couple ones were running at eight megahertz. I'm pulling something out of the drawer that's a, a blast. Yes, from this the is past. history of the podcast. Do you you remember this, Parker? I'm showing this oh, to yeah. the Twitch stream into Parker. Uh, I've got sitting here open source PLC, which we talked about long, long ago. Sub episode fifty for sure. Yeah, yeah. Which I I. I haven't heard anything about these for forever. I don't think they, they went anywhere. It, it, uh, I have a PLC that was like a third party design that uh, it's a full on Arduino PLC that runs. I think it's on the, the mega 2560 or whatever the larger uh, variant was, but this was a, this was a pretty cool little um, DIN rail mount PLC that basically was just an Arduino with a bunch of peripherals on it. Uh, like Wi-Fi connectivity and you know relay control and a bunch of in outs. Yeah, it was the Digital Loggers PL Duino. It has an 18 mega 25 uh 2560 in there. Yeah. And um 
Yeah. This thing, this thing was cool. Back. I used it in in one project, and uh, it's it's really uh, really convenient. I think the problem with this with this project, if I recall, was it was still all in Arduino, mm-hmm. and it was not. It was not a PLC, and what makes it a PLC is programmable logic control, which is ladder logic. Um, it was just programmable different- control. <laughs> it's like its own language almost yep and so it didn't have that so you had to still program it in arduino which was fine for you and me but for people who are used to programming uh plcs that is not cool (laughs) you know i I always think of like the guy down at the sewage plant that has to control the plc that opens valves and things like that is probably not going to be learning c to control their plc they're going to have ladder logic and and you know guis for for handling all guis yeah which which the arduino opta is uh supports like ladder uh, logic and functional block diagrams so uh, I, I, I haven't looked it up, but I think it, I think it does actually still support. Like if you just want to code it yourself, you can do that. But, uh, but it supports more native PLC programming habits mm-hmm. where, whereas like this, this open PLC that I have here, it's really just an Arduino with more output control and protection. Yeah. It has more industrial control interface on it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, apparently, this Opta has high high power relay switching. It has four relays that they they claim is two point three kilowatt switching. So you could do some some serious control with that, which is I don't know, it's pretty cool. Uh, regardless, I I, th- I think it's I think it's kind of neat that Arduino's getting into this game, um, and uh, and expanding into a little bit more of an industrial professional sense. Hmm. Well, I subscribe to the waiting list to see if I can get one. I wonder how much it's going to be. Um, $340. Wouldn't surprise me. That's just a guess. Completely guess. Maybe you could integrate it into your box, <laughs> your Jeep box. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's an Arduino cloud now. I'm. I wouldn't be surprised if that's been around for a while. Yeah. Interesting. I'm gonna have to look at that. Oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I didn't even knew about this Arduino cloud stuff. That was one thing I wanted to talk about uh, um, in a for a future project um, that I had an idea of. Are we are we done with topics? No, we got one more time. Let's let's let's, let's, let's do this next topic, and if we still have time, we'll talk about this idea that I had for a future automotive project that deals with the cloud. Well, okay, so th- this last project is just a, a quick little update, I guess. Um, something from episode 340 which man as i get older like i travel through time i swear that i do because this is this is only episode 340 so we're on 353 so that's 13 weeks ago so i you know a quarter ago um but but i swear this was like the beginning of this year 
is, is when we had this. But no, in episode 340, which was Necrobiotic Synthesizers. Great episode talking about spider grabbing robots and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, Parker and I both mentioned in there that there was a handful of topics that we wanted to learn. And, uh, and of one of those, uh, I, I mentioned Manum, which is a math animation software that uses not software mm. it's a math animation i guess i don't even know what generator to call it. generator yeah, GUI, yeah it, generator. it uses it uses python to generate basically videos of uh of math stuff because i have some ideas that i've been toying around with for honestly a few years now and uh as soon as i i heard about manum i was like you know what that would be really cool for making those ideas a reality in terms of like some videos. So I, I said in that in, in episode 340 that I wanted to get into it and that's really what I wanted to learn. And I finally got around to getting Manum up and running and I've created a few things that are like, take a square and like it morphs into a circle and things like that. And it it's pretty crazy that you could just tell python like make square circle and it just does it you know like i mean like this stuff is ridiculous so i'm I'm trying to keep up to my promise in fact at the beginning of this year parker and i talked about engineering resolutions and one of my engineering resolutions for this year was to take small chunks of a bunch of stuff and i'm trying to stay true to that even though like you know it's november uh i I, this year i've been trying really hard so i i i got manum up and running and it looks like it'll do everything that I want it to do, which is cool. So mainly that is plotting things and demonstrating them and showing them in video format uh, and doing some cool transformations. What I have to figure out next is how to tie that into circuit animations. So I want to show, basically, I want to have circuit animations up on the screen and I want to have the math also be shown up or the results of math on uh, on one side so manum is really great for the math side of things i have no idea if it's great for the circuit side of things and i don't want to just like shoehorn two different video portions together i would love python to do all of it so mm-hmm. that's sort of you know first first steps i got manum running and it's making really cool stuff already next steps is uh how do i get how do i get more like image-based animations to connect together with stuff. So if you haven't looked it up, Manum Community Edition is really cool. A lot of, uh, if, if 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 you're into like educational and mathematics videos on YouTube, I guarantee you you've seen multiple people make videos on YouTube uh, that utilize Manum. Using this? Yeah, yeah. I want to see if this is a cool tool for doing electrical demonstrations or demonstrations of electronics and the results of circuitry uh, because the animations are so fantastic. I think there's, there's a lot of topics out there that can be explained better if you could actually see them animated. Mm-hmm. And I, I see a gap in that, in that world, um, especially when it comes to analog electronics and how analog electronics work. So I, we made a rule a while ago about, uh, we don't talk about projects until they're, I don't remember, 70% done, 60% done, something like that. Oh, we broke that. Well, we broke that with the G-prop thingy. So. Well, 
I th- but but here's the thing. I think the the way that we're breaking it now is better because we're talking about chunks, like small little things that we do all along all along the way, as opposed to saying like I'm doing this big thing and then it just sort of That's dissolves true. into nothing. So nothing. Yeah. The whole oh. thing about this uh, learning this manum thing is sort of just an excuse to play around with with Python, but it's also sort of an excuse to scratch that itch for some. Uh, some videos I've wanted to do for a long time. So we'll see what it all turns into. It's just, it's a little bit of an update of like, I said I was going to do it and I am putting some effort into it. So the, that Arduino cloud stuff, um, it had my m- mind jogged about another project I wanted to do, which is a similar mo- uh, idea that you were having is like stuff I want to do to be able to figure it out and sh- and explain to other people how I did it so that they don't have to go through the hardship that I did. Right? Yeah. Um, so one of those is uh, is how do you just make a cloud-connected piece of electronic hardware? And it sounds so simple, but when you look out, out there, everyone's using some other cloud service like uh like uh particle or, or this arduino cloud that you don't actually control the destiny of that server right yeah you are at the whim of the entire market in that regard so many cloud services have come and gone that work that way how, so all i want to try to figure out is how do you set up a piece of hardware to talk to the cloud that you have 100% destiny control over? So as long as your credit card doesn't get canceled, it still runs. Hmm. So using like, you know, AWS or Amazon Web Services or using like Azure Cloud from Microsoft, something like that, or like DigitalOcean, something like that, that is also has to be inexpensive. Like... You're not doing any processing. You just want to serve up something. And then also on the other end, what's the best way for you to get notified of it? Like, is it through? Honestly, the best way would be like as a push notification to your phone, right? Like, so like an email. So it sends an email to your phone. So you get a push notification. That's a cheap way of doing it, I guess, instead of having like to write a Android or iOS app that pops up on your phone. But that was what I was thinking of, like control the destiny of your IoT device. So that's what I want to do next after the PDM. And the project I have for that is I want to make a battery monitor for a car that's on Wi-Fi. Those exist and they're like $25. So that's cheap. Problem is, who knows how long that server is going to run for and... When it dies, when that company goes belly up, well, now you have a couple hundred dollars worth of e-waste. So I want to fix that. I want to be like, how do you make a battery monitor that works on Wi-Fi that will just work forever? Right? Some stuff to think about. Hmm. You know, I wish I wish I could just, I wish I kind of hosted my own server that would just suck data in whenever i wanted and didn't have to worry about a pricing plan because because the, uh, there are things i'll do 
where I'm like, oh, this would be great if I could take data on it for the next, you know, three weeks. And then I know I won't touch it for another year. So I wish I could just like park a server for that amount of time, not pay for it. And then, and then whenever I am taking data, that's, pay for that's it. actually a good thing about AWS is you can set stuff up like that. Right, right. Where right. it only spins up when stuff happens. Yep. That's what I want to learn because I have no like no knowledge anything about that. Yeah, that's the next step, right? Like we um, talked about it in the past about um, some some beer brewing stuff we did where uh, we had some Wi-Fi connected sensors that would gather data during fermentation, which is usually like a week or two, and then I don't mm -hmm. brew again for another two months. So it would be cool to gather data only when I'm brewing and only pay for it during that time. Yeah. And that's also another thing to think about is, is there a way to do it locally too? Yeah. Right. Like, Hey, that actually might be the interesting thing to go about it is could you set up uh, the answer is yes. To of this. course you could. Yeah. I'm phrasing it like a question though. Right. <laughs> <laughs> could you set up a raspberry Pi that just sits on your network and is your data collector and then sends you notifications you know, when you need it, which is like, hey, your fermentation is done on your beer or like, hey, the battery and your Jeep is at 11 volts now. You should probably go out there and start it the next day. So it doesn't go lower and is dead. <laughs> I like it. So that's stuff I want to think about because then it's local. There's probably tons of tutorials out there that already say this kind of stuff. I've searched some stuff. It's not super clear. So I want to make it clear. And I think we can do that. Yeah. So I want it, I want it so that in like five years, I can go reread my article and everything in that article still works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's usually how it works. Yeah, but that's what I want. I want to like in five years, I'm like, oh, I want to spin up a new IoT project and I want to do it the way I used to do it. And it just works. I don't have to bank on some other changing API or anything like that. I don't want to have to, you know, you know, rewrite an API or anything like that every single time. So. Mm -hmm. so with those deep thoughts, that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you. Yes, you are a listener for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Stephen and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog EMG. Or emails at podcast at macfab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. You can find it at macfab.com slash Slack.